on the principles of, um, I'm sorry, principles of, uh, I'll get what principles of God, New Testament principles. There we go. And uh, we're finishing that up. We're going to be starting something new next week. And uh, I, am, uh, I am looking forward to the next Sunday night service. We are having what they call a pillar service. And I, uh, I believe at this point I'm going to preach on the uh, seven pillars of wisdom. Speaking of concerning some of the older people, which I fit the category anymore that's in the church and why we're, we're pretty good people. You know, us, and the older you get, the better. Our sister Marie back there, she'll be 62 here before long. And uh, I won't tell you how old she is. She doesn't look her age, that's for sure. Sister Deem, you know, uh, Sister Sheesh, all, all of them. You know, people that have gone through the battles, and they still are standing firm. You need to learn from them. You need to learn from them. And uh, I, I, I know that throughout my time serving God that uh, I've had people, older people in my life that has made such a difference, such a difference. And uh, I, I am just, uh, I'm thankful for our, our older people. I'm thankful that I'm entering into that and I hope I can be the same kind of example that they have been to me. All right, we're going to talk about the principles of the growing Christian. Principles of the growing Christian. Uh, second, this is great scripture right here. Now, it's going to come up in the Amplified, so if it's a little different, I'd just like for you to see it in the Amplified. I'm going to read it out of the King James. Uh, but it's 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. Then we're going to go to one scripture in 2 Peter three eighteen. So 2 Peter 1, 1 says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now I want you to note this uh, in this second verse. Grace and peace be multiplied. Now notice that. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied. But how is grace and peace multiplied? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, the ability to understand that God was in Christ, but yet Christ was still a man, flesh and blood, that felt the same things that we feel. Yet God lived in the man, Christ Jesus. The knowledge, not making two persons, but the knowledge of spirit indwelling flesh, that didn't, the flesh did not make Jesus any less God. You understand that? It did not make him any less God, but yet all the power of the Godhead was in him bodily. All the power of the Godhead. So it's not a matter of putting two people in a Godhead or three people in a Godhead, but that peace can be multiplied in you as you begin to understand how this is... (laughs) Can come about. It's simple for us that have lived for God for years. It's simple for us. You know, the first time I ever heard of a Trinity, I thought that was the most blasphemous thing I'd ever heard of, because putting three gods. You know, I was smart enough even back in my dumb days to to understand that you know you threw one plus one plus one is three, and that's paganism. 
and one plus one plus one person. You put persons, persons, personalities, separate, distinct. You cannot do that and have one God. But you can have God manifested in three different ways. He was manifested as a spirit. He was manifested in the Son and the Holy Ghost. He was all these three are one. He was just simple, simply manifestations of the one true God. Just like any one of us can have three different offices, God could have three different offices. And he said this is how peace is multiplied. To know that God, I'll get to where I'm going in a minute, to know that God loved me so much that he came down from his lofty throne and became a man, was born, just like any of the rest of us was born, even in a simpler manner than what we were born, and, and, and suffered what he suffered because of me and because of you. He loved us that much, that God would do that for me. That gives me peace in my mind. Let me tell you one other thing that gives me peace. It doesn't matter. If I'm always perfect, I've still got a God that loves me. No matter how, how bad things may seem, I've still got a God that loves me. No matter how many times I stump my toe and fall, I still have a God that loves me. In verse 3, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life. Look at this. He loves us so much that He gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add. Everybody say add. Add. Say it again. I like add. Add. All right, let's do this again. And beside us, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So faith is not enough. You have to add to your faith. Okay? Virtue and virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you... And abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. We keep seeing the word knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, say, How fine you look today. And you can be seated. Has anyone ever had somebody come up to you or in the process of a conversation with someone come up to you and say, grow up? I'll go over here that the, the, the distinguished side of the church. <laughs> Anybody ever tell you to grow up? Oh, well, Lena, you told him to grow up. 
Ah, ah, ah. Everybody at one time or the other probably has had, when you were a teenager especially, you know, you're a teenager, you think that you know everything and you find out you know absolutely nothing. You do stupid things when you're a teenager that you pay for the rest of your life. Anybody want to say amen? amen. Okay. And you would like for the teenager to listen to you so that they wouldn't do the stupid thing that they have to suffer for the rest of their life. But still, being a teenager, they need to grow up. And you keep telling them to grow up, and they keep looking at you and think that you are stupid because they are grown up. So, anyway, I got all that out. So, regardless of whether a person, you know, believed that about you rightly or wrongly, uh, they thought that you were acting without the necessary measure or appropriate measure, if you would, of maturity. The fact is that we cannot help but grow. Everybody grows. Growth is normal and it is natural. It's, an, it's a natural part of life. Anything alive grows. And if it's not growing, then it's dead or it is dying. Now, this is a, a fundamental principle of life, and, it, and it's true in the natural sense uh, as well as it is true in a spiritual sense. That's, and that said, believers do have a responsibility to discipline themselves according to the biblical mandates and principles which all facilitate and promote effective spiritual growth. In other words, we need to do that which will facilitate or help us to grow spiritually. We need to do that. We're responsible to do that. In the natural sense, a person cannot refuse to eat and expect to grow in a physical stature and health. He will begin to, atrophy will, will set in, he'll begin to die. And so it is in the spiritual realm. Spiritual, spiritual growth is a natural process. But the believer still is responsible to contribute to his own spiritual growth through attending to basic principles. He should establish and maintain consistent faithfulness to church attendance, daily prayer, Bible reading, studying, witnessing, fasting, and godly living. Now, attending to these and other Christian disciplines will promote healthy growth. This, is, this will help you to grow. The more you attend to spiritual disciplines, I, I've got a book, if I haven't loaned it out and it's not come back, uh, talking about the different disciplines in, in, in growing or in living for God. And uh, Foster wrote it, the name of uh, Richard Foster, wrote the book. And it's probably one of the better books when it comes to, to understanding spiritual disciplines of anything I've ever read. And it, it covers all of them. And from the beginning of my relationship with God, I've always tried to attend to those things. And it's not always easy. And sometimes you, uh, and let me, I, I want to I get into one aspect right here. Sometimes you can try to attend to discipline so hard that you push yourself away. Anything that you push on yourself, we have a tendency as a human being to want to go the other way, which when you begin to learn to attend to particular disciplines and you see the result of those disciplines, that you begin to enjoy them. There's a place where you can get where you enjoy prayer. And you don't have to just, you know, I've taught on prayer before. In fact, I'm going to probably start it again. I'm, I've done some more studying in prayer and doing some other things. I'm going to probably get into it again. But uh, I, you begin to enjoy just spending time with God. And, and you, uh, you know, in, in the areas that I talked about, dividing up the platform, ask, seek, and knock. Ask over here, seek, knock. 
and where you get into the point of asking is you just bring your petitions before God, your list of, God, would you? God, would you? Would you do this? Would you do this? Sometimes we can get to the point where it's all we do, and we never get to the other areas of where we can hear God and where we can just love God and we can just talk to God. I was talking earlier before service. I, I think my best prayer is when I just talk to God like I'm talking to you. You know, some, I, I'm not saying there's not a time of intimacy with God that you get down and you just talk to Him and you listen, but just talking to Him, I hear Him more in a conversation with Him when I'm by myself than probably any time when I'm here at a, at a prayer meeting, which I believe in prayer meetings, and we need to have those. And, and we, we comfort one another. We, we, we bombard heaven, if you would, with a lot of people asking, and, and I'm not against that. But sometimes as an individual, you're not good at a corporate prayer meeting unless you can spend time by yourself with God. You need that time by yourself with God. So it has to be. And so, we, so that's one of the disciplines. And, you, and you, you get to the point where you just you enjoy that. You want to. I want to talk to God. Uh, fasting, nobody enjoys it. Okay? It's one of the spiritual disciplines that you just do. After you're done with it, there is a result of, of fasting. Not only do you see things done in the spiritual, but you also feel in yourself. And there's nothing wrong with feeling like you've accomplished something if you've gone on a three-day fast. You know, don't, don't berate yourself saying, I shouldn't feel good about this. Yes, you should. And if you've gone on a 40-day fast and you're still alive, you should even feel better about yourself. <laughs> All right? So I'm saying that, that you should feel, and that, that's good. Those are disciplines that you do. You know, the witnessing's the same way. Uh, any of the disciplines that we do, the discipline of study, uh, you know, that's easier for some more so than, than others. But, but it's areas like this you get into and you work at all the disciplines, but you find that which is easier for you and you, you focus on it, then others will open up. All right, now I, I wasn't going to get into that, but I just thought it was necessary. So growth in, in all these areas is an essential process of life. Biological growth is one of the, of the vital signs of life. Now, when a child stops growing it is a cause for an alarm in addition to physical growth mental growth and emotional growth uh, there are essential to maintaining a healthy life all these are that the the lack of growth is an anomaly it's dwarfism is a result of stunted physical growth mental retardation is a result of deficient mental growth immaturity reflects a lack of emotional growth we see a lot of people that are immature when it comes to emotions and we can go through all the list and there are myriad there's all kinds of reasons people don't grow emotionally they were beaten when they were younger they were you know they were they they didn't get their xbox and they didn't get their Wii or something and that caused them to have emotional problems till they're 112 I, you know whatever it is uh, i have a little trouble sometimes with emotional immaturity i think sometimes it's just a catch-all remark okay I have sometimes. Can I give you the best thing I'm going to say today? There are times you just got to get over things. Okay, you just get over them. Don't point your finger the rest of your life at some one point in your life that things didn't go well for you. You got a God that is bigger than that. He can wipe that out of your mind and just go forward. Just go forward. I'm going to come back to that. I think later. I kind of like that. 
So growth then is, is also vital in other areas of human life. For example, growth is normally essential in business endeavors. Lack of growth in a business often causes that business to lose its viability in the marketplace. The business must expand and adapt to the market it serves. Lack of expansion and innovation often causes a business to become unprofitable. A book I finished, and I talked about it before, present metrics, it was looking at the GNP, the gross uh, national product, and, and, and that is the total monetary value of all final goods and services produced for consumption in the nation. Now, during a, during a particular time period, so that's how it's monitored, whether our economy is good or not, is monitored by the gross national product, quote, the goods that we spend in a particular uh, period of time. That's how it's monitored, if we're healthy or not. Now, a government and business world monitor these figures daily. Businesses desire to see this figure grow because it signals a healthy economy. Spiritual growth is another vital area of necessary growth for Christians. Jesus compared the conversion experience to the birth of a baby in John 3, 1 through 5. When believers are saved, they are like newborn babies spiritually. They are immature infants, complete and full of new life, but undeveloped in their spiritual senses and relationship with Jesus Christ. New believers are fully alive in Christ, but they lack spiritual maturity. Babies are totally helpless, except to eat, make noise, and breathe, and I'm going to tell you the other. Okay, we all know what that is. And it is such <laughs> much the same spiritually for new believers. And new believers do the same messes. Okay. Peter appropriately admonished, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In Second Peter 3.18. Consequently, growth is a vital both to the Christian and to the church in general. The individual Christian needs to, to heed the biblical exhortation to grow, and the church as a body must continually grow in numbers and spiritual understanding. Now, uh, let, me, let, me, let me get this back. I, I've been praying... Uh, here in the last few weeks, just about, I know our, our revival's coming up in, in August. Uh, it just seems like to, when you hit, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when you hit Memorial Day, get a couple of heartbeats and it's 4th of July. And uh, then we have revival, then it's Labor Day. I, I mean, is that is that just me or does it seem to go that fast? Yeah, it just goes that fast, doesn't it? And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm praying about it and... Uh, you know, and, and God, God has, has spoke to me concerning some of these areas. And one of the areas, especially in revival, of course, we're uh, are we kicking off the Bible study today? Okay, tonight. Okay, so we're kicking this off, and it's going to culminate in the revival for the Cisco. Um, but, you know, in this, in this I, I, God spoke to me, and he told me, he said, our faith has reached a different level as a church. My faith as an individual has reached a different level. Honestly, I just, not that, uh, you know, sometimes I, I want to get this across the correct way. I do care and I do love, but I don't, my worry element is about gone. Okay, now, now I want you to follow me. Some people somehow equate worry with caring. I no longer, I don't equate that. God really is in control. He really is in control. So the worry level on Robertson is nil. I'm not doing it anymore. 
Okay, I'm not. I'm going to love God, do what God wants me to do, care for the church, but not to the point of where I'm going to carry all your troubles. I am giving your troubles to God. Now, now I feel, I feel that all of us as a church, are, we're going to that level. You cannot worry about your situation. You can't look at the outer world and worry about it. And somehow I feel like that we have grown, and, and, and I think we're, we're going to hit a pivotal point at this revival where some of us are going to tip over in that direction and really understand what I'm trying to tell you right now. Because a lot of what I'm saying is not necessarily, you're, you're not going to grasp it completely, uh, but you will have a revelation of what I'm saying, and that can only happen to you individually. I can't make something happen, but God can. I discipline myself and live spiritual disciplines, and I want things to happen, but they're in God's hands, and I just continue to pray, I continue to fast, I continue to believe, I continue to study, and, and then I just give that to God, because really what I'm disciplining is me. Me to trust. It's the faith level. It's the faith level that I think all of us have to, are going to have to get to in order for this to, to work the way it should. So, so consequently, you know, growth, again, is vital, and we have to have it. Now let's look, at, let's look at 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Everything I just said goes with that particular scripture. He has given us everything that pertaineth to life. I've been here before at this same thing. The same scripture has, has, has uh, bum-fuzzled me. If God has given me everything that pertaineth to life, then why do I need to ask God for anything? If I have been given everything that pertaineth to life, do you, do you understand that, that, what he's saying here? What he's saying that in the Holy Ghost is everything that you need. That there is nothing more God can add to you. You have to add. Not God. So in other words, within us there's this, this the, let me just, uh, let me put it the, the best way that I can in my poor natural silly mind. The Holy Ghost is a big door that when I receive the Holy Ghost, this door is in me. And throughout my relationship with God, I keep trying to find the key to open it up. Let me, let me, let me do it better. I'm, I'm getting revelation. I've got this door that's a myriad of doors. I've got a doggy door at the bottom. I've got a horsey door halfway up, you know. I've got a human door. I've got all these. One big door, little doors inside the doors, Okay. And so throughout my life, I'm able to find keys to open up areas of that. But eventually, I want to find the key that opens the big barn door. You see what I'm saying? That's what God is telling us. He said, everything that you need is there. It's up to you to open these doors. Okay? And this is what Peter's trying to... He's trying to give us some, some, some areas here to, to help us to open up some of this. That's what he's trying to do. Now, God has promised to supply us 
with the necessary ingredients for normal spiritual growth and development into his likeness and image. And this is what this is all about. But we all with an open face beholding us into a glass, the glory of, of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. All forms of life require two things to thrive. A conducive environment. My environment helps me to thrive. Helps me to understand what's there. If I'm in the right environment, maybe I can get a key to open up a door. Okay? Good nutrition. The life form may exist, but it will not grow without these two essential aspects. I've got to have nutrition. I've got to feed me in a natural, and I've got to feed me in a spiritual sense. It's got to happen that way. I cannot, I, I don't think a lot of us, we've got this power within us, but a lot of us do not have enough spiritual nutrition to open the doors. Follow me. Now, whether it be plant or animal life, it must be surrounded with proper supporting elements for life and growth, warmth, moisture, light, and the right environmental chemistry. It must also have food. A plant absorbs food material and converts it to growth. Environmental conditions are critical for proper growth. The farmer can have the best seeds or plants, but the condition must also be conducive for growth. His crops will face numerous challenges each year. Bad weather, poor soil, animals, insects. The farmer prays for good weather, fertilizes the soil, sets traps for wild animals, and sprays insecticide to kill the bugs. He does all this. Now, Peter assured the church that God has provided that which is essential to the spiritual growth of believers in 2 Peter 1.3. He said that we would have this, but there's areas that we have to work in to keep the environment right. All right, I'm about to say something that's going to get me in trouble. If I am working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and I'm going to say this to some of you new ones here, Say it some of you old ones that are fighting the same battle for 25 years. Whatever is in the way of me making it to heaven needs to go. Okay? It needs to go. I certainly won't say anything that would hurt relationships, but sometimes the best way to get rid of something out of your life is to apply the foot to the seat of whatever the problem is. Whether it be human animal, vegetable, whatever it may be. Some people fit all those categories. You just apply the foot and get rid of it. You know, there are some things in your life you just don't need. He may tell you that you need him. Am I preaching good? She may tell you how wonderful that she is. But the truth of the matter is, how much does she or he drag you down? <laughs> Got to have the right environment. Right environment. All right, let's look at some requirements for growth. Number one, nourishment. Bread was such a staple food during Bible times that the term was used as a synonym for food. For instance, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness to turn stones into bread. And Jesus declared in his rebuff to the temptation that physical food is insufficient 
to grow the whole man. On another occasion, he said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. Paul exhorted the church at Corinth. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. As Christians grow, they're able to expand their spiritual diet. And you see, if you are stuck in milk, then there's something wrong. You grow teeth in order to chew meat. Nothing like a good steak. Blood dripping out of it when you chew it. Right? Huh? What do you think makes me the person I am today? I'm wearing my canines out. It's a problem. <laughs> Tony, you're here. I didn't even. I haven't seen you so long. I thought you'd gone to the church over on the corner here. <laughs> well, you know, the first time I see you around for a while, and what I got to do? Insult you, you know? <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, they, it, you know, it, it's it's you you have to eventually get off the milk diet. Man, I tell you, there's so many things I like to say right now, but but at, well, it may not be appropriate. You know, it may not be appropriate. You know, you know why you like the milk diet, don't you? You know why a lot of people like the milk diet? It's because they stay close to the cow. If you eat meat, you have to kill a cow. But some of us like to snuggle up against particular portions of the anatomy. You know, just stay right there, nuzzle. You know, when you really get to meat, sometimes you have to just kill the cow and walk away and begin to do your own thing. I'm going to preach on killing a cow one of these days. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Help us move on here. Help us move on. All right, so, so we, nourishment is, is vital. We have to have it. Uh, and Paul looks at junk food. Junk food. Let's, let's look at junk food. Everybody likes junk food. How many loves Twinkies, Ding Dongs, Doritos? Uh, yeah. Look at them. Uh, you know, the thing is, Tony raises his hands, and he weighs about 120 pounds. Doesn't that irritate you when someone can eat junk food like that and never, never ever get any? I mean, eventually it'll catch up to him. <laughs> You've tried to get him off that thing. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, we got an argument going into church. Better get... <laughs> going back to junk food, and we do know that it is a problem... In North America, and it really is. Some say we're the most overfed and undernourished people on the earth. And sadly, this can be said of the spiritual diet of too many people in North America. You can say the same thing in our spiritual diet. Because sometimes people, they, they just want what they want. They'll pick and choose. They'll come into a church, and they'll pick and choose. I've, been, I've had it happen to me. I've had people come up to me after service and, and nail me on one area which was biblically correct, but they didn't like it. They didn't like it because it was meat, not Doritos. You know, they don't like them. When you begin to get into the meat, it gets a little harder to chew. You can stuff a, tink, a, Twinkie, a Twinkie down your throat. You know, 
You can put that down pretty easily, but it's a little harder when it comes to a chunk of meat, you know. <laughs> yeah, Lord, now I've got him laughing. I have to stop. <laughs> well, I'm preaching good now. <laughs> All right, let's go to number two. Let's get away from nourishment. Let's get to environment. <laughs> And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food. Multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causes through us thanksgiving to God. Second Corinthians 9, 8 and 11. The world we live in is not the best environment for finding wholesome influences. It is absolutely not, and we know that. There are negative influences everywhere. The Scripture warns us that our adversary is like a lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5.8. Having a proper environment for spiritual growth will require deliberate effort on our part. However, if we pursue it, if we can find a safe place for nurturing spiritual growth, uh, that's the thing to do. We have to pursue the right environment. The church should be the right environment. The church is not just a place to coddle you. It's a place to help you grow. It's not just a place to pat you on the back and say everything's going to be okay. There's a time for that. But there's a time that if a church is right, then there should be. Growth is more than just numbers sitting on a pew. Growth is also in how you, you, uh, you, you, well, this, how you understand God, how you, God works in your life, your, uh, your ability to, to, to help others, your ability to grow and understand that it's more than just about you. And you see, that's what understanding Jesus is all about. It was more than just about Jesus. You know, when it came to him, he looked and ministered to other people. And he grew and he understood. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Though he is God in the flesh and there's none other like him. I understand that. But we are to put on his image and his likeness. And we are to live as he lived. And I don't expect a person to do that overnight, but I do expect a person to grow and you be able to understand that. You know, when, when people come into the church and, they don't, and, and after four or five years, they still don't understand that there's 66 books in the Bible, there's something wrong. You know, if they don't understand some simple things, there's something wrong. They're there not to listen or to learn. They're there to be coddled. There to be padded. We have to grow in understanding and knowledge. And we have to have the right environment. That's what the church should be. It's a safe haven for Christians. That's why church attendance is so critical for spiritual growth in Hebrews 10.25. And through church attendance we receive biblical teaching, godly fellowship, edification by spiritual gifts, opportunities to minister, and the opportunity for corporate worship. Making our homes shelters from the evils of the world is another way to facilitate spiritual growth. You know, your home should be a safe haven as well. You're, you are responsible to keep it that way. You are responsible to bring up your children the right way, to give them a safe haven, to let them know that there are certain things that are proper, certain things that are not proper. 
It's more than just what they get in Sunday school or in a church service. It should be the same thing at home. So we need to make our home shelters for growth. And you can see that in Philippians 4, 8. And further, frequently reading the Word of God will protect our minds from the false philosophies of the world. Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, he said, Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. All right, so that's very, it's vital. Now let's look at the necessity of growth. In Ephesians 4, 13 and 15, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now just as an infant needs to grow, so does a newborn babe in Christ. Paul mentioned five equipping ministries in the church and stated that they are the gifts to the body of Christ. These ministries promote spiritual growth within the believers. Just as parents nurture a child, these gifts nurture the church. Peter exhorted us with these words. He said, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Further, he urged spiritual growth among believers, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In 2 Peter 1, 5 and 7, Peter provided a list of qualities in which he challenged believers to grow. Now, his use, and I had you repeat the word earlier, his use of the word add clearly reveals that the new birth experience is only the beginning of our spiritual relationship with God. We must add to our growth and relationship with Him. We have to do this. If we're going to grow as Christians, we have to add some things to our relationship with God. It's necessary. And we're going to look at these. Number one, he said add grace. Grace. Now, according to Young's Analytical Concordance of the Bible, the word grace in 2 Peter 1-2 translates from the Greek word charis, which means grace or graciousness. Peter exhorted, but grow in graciousness and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, grace also, we know that, uh, you know, to define grace, we define it as the unmerited favor or love of God. Okay, it's the unmerited. I also believe grace can be defined as opportunities. That God gives us opportunities. I think growing in grace is the ability to see the opportunity that is before us and step into that opportunity. The opportunity to get rid of things out of my life when I see them. You know, God sometimes opens the door, opens the window, whatever you want to say, in our, in our, our spiritual vision. He lets us see what we need to get out of our lives. But we have to understand that we have to take advantage of it. It's one thing, you know, oh, God, get, get him out of my life. You know, God, get him out of my life. God, get him out of my life. God, why aren't you doing something? And God says, well, you know how to do this. Pick him up and throw him out. You know, that's the thing to do. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of doing that. And I'm just using that as an example. There's a lot of things in our life we need to throw out. Areas in our life that need to be cleaned up. Things that weigh us down, bear us down. Constant weights. Lay aside every weight. 
and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. We need to lay aside every weight. Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to bear some of the things that we bear. But the only way to get rid of them is to get rid of them. Well, I feel strong on that one. I feel strong on that one. You know, we have to get rid of some grace. It's the opportunities. Believers need to grow in grace, the unmerited favor of God. Moving on. Number two, faith. According to Young's analytical concordance to the Bible, the word faith in 2 Peter 1.5 comes from the Greek word pistis, which means faithfulness or steadfastness. This God-given virtue is the most vital of all. Our entire spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ is founded upon our faith in Him. The Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God gives everyone that initial spark of faith in Romans 12:3. but it is up to us to exercise our faith so that it may grow. Our faith can grow as we observe the faithfulness of others. That's one reason that I, I know that the Krauss is both, and um, uh, Jessica and Brother Krauss, that they, uh, they're the ones that, that suggested this pillar service. This is a good example of what we need to do. We look at the faithfulness of those that have gone before us. We look at the faithfulness of those that are still here, that are still fighting the good fight, that have not given up the battle. And we realize that there's an element of faith that they've had to add. They've, they have had to add some strength to that. It's not just a matter of God gave me the faith to, to be saved. There's something else about this that I have to do. Add to faith. Faith, you know, faith is a fruit. Faith is a gift. And faith we add to. So look at faith is everywhere around us. In other words, it's something that grows and continues to prosper and change and be better all the time. There comes a time in your relationship with God that your faith becomes such a solid foundation that regardless of what life throws at you, it will never shake you free. Faith is something that should constantly empower us. Faith is something that should keep our feet constantly embedded. Come on. And never allow the winds of adversity to move us. That's what faith is all about. Never allowing anything to stop us. You learn from people that have gone through the battles. People, we got people here that have lost husbands and wives, and, and you know, they didn't get mad at God. We've had people here that have lost children. They didn't get mad at God. We've got people here that have endured and endured and endured. And so don't, don't come up to me if you've been in, in the church for a few years and you've got some of your, your, your hardest, your, your biggest temptation, your biggest trial is upon you and it's not even that big a deal that you can't make it. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Not when God has got a myriad of witnesses, hundreds of thousands of witnesses that have made it. Faith. Let's go to the next one, Virtue. The word virtue, 2 Peter 1.5, comes from the Greek word ariti, which means force or strength of mind or body. The believer is urged to add virtue or to add force or strength to his faith. Believing is imperative, but obeying is just as important. That is how you add virtue to your faith. Jesus said, 
If you love me, obey my commandments. If you got faith in me and you love me, then you need to obey. So if we really believe, we're going to respond and act upon our faith. Sadly, while many so-called Christians today profess faith in God, they do not see the need to live according to God's commandments. However, Jesus again stated, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's in John 14, 15. We must grow in spiritual strength by practicing our faith. Look at the next one, knowledge. The word knowledge in 2 Peter 1, 5-6 comes from the Greek word gnosis, which simply means knowledge. When we cease to learn, we cease to enjoy vibrant and abundant life. This kind of knowledge does not come from intellectual pursuits, but it's spiritual knowledge. How does God impart knowledge in us? Now, there's two ways. Of course, we can learn from studying the Scripture. We can learn from other people. Wisdom is passed down. But also, one of the best ways that God shows us is through our trials. It's through the hardships that we go through. It's where we, we get down to where there's nothing that I have left to give. I have no more. Not, I don't know what else to do. Then I turn to God, and I should have turned to Him longer before this. I turn to God and said, God, this thing is too big for me. Will you take care of it? And mean it from your heart. Mean it from your heart. I cannot do this. God puts every person at one time in their life, you'll be put in that position. Most of you will be in that position more than once. But the great thing about it is you learn. You learn that whatever you're facing, whatever adversity it may be, I'm going to do what's right, and God will take care of me. The next one, temperance. According to Young's analytical concordance of the Bible, the word temperance in 2 Peter 1.6 comes from the Greek word, and I can't even pronounce it. That's exactly what it says. Which means self-restraint or continence. Self-restraint. Oh, then that continence or control. Self-restraint or control. We are to add temperance to our knowledge. It simply means to have one's passions under control. The idea of temperance contrasts starkly from the anarchy and lack of control in, in, in the part of the false teachers whom Peter exposed in 2 Peter 2. As it was needed in Peter's day, so temperance is desperately needed in our day. Indulgence is the trend of many people in this modern decadent society. The prevailing philosophy for many people is if it feels good, do it. And many individuals think nothing should be denied them. They wrongly believe rules of restraint should never hamper their personal fulfillment and happiness. Galatians 5 offers an amazing study of the contrasting works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. The Christian should grow in his ability to resist temptation by purging himself of the works of the flesh, which comes naturally by one's human nature. I, by nature, have got a lot of bad things in me. Even by nature, I'm a killer. I'm a murderer. That's a work of the flesh. So by the fruit of the Spirit, I keep those things restrained, pushed down, covered. If I do not keep filling or nourishing the spiritual man, then these things begin to come back up again. It's a constant nourishing. And after a while, you may think, I just fight this and fight this and fight this. After you have overcome this by the power of the Spirit of God, then it will not be so difficult for you to keep down. But so many of us give up right at the time when we could get this thing under control. So we have to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. 
And over time and through many experiences, the believer who develops the fruit of the Spirit is able to conquer many fleshly temptations and weaknesses. All right, the word patience is the next one. Second Peter 1, 6 comes from the Greek word, I won't say it, which means endurance or continuance. With time and experience, a Christian should grow in stamina and endurance. I don't know. Is it maybe it's just me? But I just, you know, I, I've always never. I guess when I started serving God, I've always been the kind of person that I wanted to push myself as hard as I could, and I still do some, to, sometimes to a fault, at least in a physical sense, what I'm able to do because I want to be in decent health, and I believe that exercise does it. So I push myself too hard, and so I walk around with a limp, and I walk around hurting, and you know, you got back aches, and headaches, and eyeball aches and everything else, you know. But, you know, on the other side of it, when it comes to the spiritual sense of things, why in the world can't we build stamina in that as well? And the only way to build stamina is to go beyond the pain. You know if you're an athlete that you're going to push yourself, you're going to push yourself, the first thing you've got to learn is that you are going to have to endure some pain. And you learn that you can just put the pain in the back of your mind. So why in the world can't we do this in the spiritual sense? Instead of just giving in to everything the world has out there. All right, I want to do this. I want to be this way. I, I, I want to do something. You push. It's going to hurt you to say no to your flesh, but you do it anyway, and it teaches, and it, it builds endurance and stamina in you. The next time you face the same situation, you've overcome it already. You know how to overcome it. I push the pain aside and move on. I got something better that's going to happen down the road for me. If I don't have another good thing that ever happens to me in this life, I have got a heaven that is awaiting me, and that's worth everything that I have to endure. So I'm going to build stamina. I'm going to go forward. So that's what, you know, and tribulation, sadly to say, is what? Work of patience. And so God puts us through it. And, you know, you don't be terrified of the pain. You don't be terrified of the stress of training. You know, you learn to embrace the rigors of whatever it is, when it's, whether it be in a physical sense or a spiritual sense. You embrace it. That's part of it. That's what you do. Godliness is the next thing. According to Young's Analytical Concordance to the Bible, the word godliness in Second Peter 1, 6 comes from the Greek word, and I'm not going to say that one either, which means piety or reverence. And I preached on this not too long ago. Our reverence toward God should grow. Our worship of His majesty should not become old and routine. It never should become old and routine. Every time you walk in this church, you're worshiping the majesty of all the universe, the glorious one that loved you so much that he came down and talked to you personally. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It should never grow old. I should always enjoy. My reverence towards him should always be complete. I don't care what you think. I don't care what others think. I am revering the one that has done so much for me personally. You know, and as we grow fonder of God's fellowship, we should broaden our methods of expression. We broaden ourselves because we grow fonder. We get used to Him being there, and, and not, not in a routine manner, but it's just so, it's so overwhelming, the fact that He loves me. I can feel Him. I can touch Him. I can embrace Him. And I, so I broaden my expression towards Him. I broaden it. I get I'm more so all the time. And the next one is brotherly kindness. The words brotherly kindness in Second Peter 1.7 comes from Philadelphia. I can pronounce that one. Which means brotherly love. 
Uh, the church is a community of interconnected believers who exhibit kindness and caring love for one another. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Our bonds with the church family should grow over time. This network of friends provides a great opportunity to minister to others and receive ministry and fellow, and from fellow members of the body of Christ. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, brotherly kindness. The next one, love, passion, compassion. According to Young's analytical concordance, comes from the, uh, the word charity. In 2 Peter 1.7, comes from the Greek word agape, which means simply love. Now, this word is used to describe God's supreme love for his, for his Son in John 17.26 and the human race in John 3.16. Other Greek words are translated love in the King James Version of the Bible, but agape is the supreme essence of God-like love. Agape is the highest form of love, an unselfish love that loves without expecting anything in return. Jesus displayed this kind of love when he gave his life on the cross for our salvation. Agape love is a decision of the will to love. I make a decision to love. That's agape love. Not based on romantic, not based on emotional feelings or reciprocal expressions. I do it because I made up my mind I'm going to love that person. A decision of the will. And further is a love that grows and endures with time. It grows. In 2 Peter 1.8, it says this, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth means productivity and effectiveness. Paul bluntly told the Corinthian church they were not growing. They said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Even as unto babes in Christ I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are you now able to bear it. He said, I'm tired of feeding you milk. It's time for you to grow up. That's what he was saying. Whereby you are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. As the Christian grows spiritually, he is transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. We become partakers of his divine nature. Further, Paul admonished the believers in Rome. He said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. By growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, we build a barrier between ourselves and the corruption of the world. That is the one time that you're able to build a wall. You don't build a wall in the church. I've seen people come into church and build walls around them. They're, they're upset. They're wanting to backslide. They're mad at somebody, so they build walls. That way, when everybody's afraid to come, you know, to shake their hand or touch them, then they can blame everybody else around them. Okay? That's not appropriate. Of course not. The appropriate thing is to build walls between you and the world. And when you do that, you have love one for another. And you're not trying to blame anybody for your problems. It comes again. I want to go back. You just have to get over it. You just have to, you have to make up your mind. Kim Evans cannot help but just being abrasive. No matter what she does, she can't help but being abrasive. <laughs> she cannot help herself. So I love her anyway. 
And I'm not going to blame her because she has picked on me and said things that's hurt my feelings. It's probably because I'm wearing my feelings on my shoulder. There's certain people in the church you can pick on and you feel safe. Other people you don't feel safe. <laughs> I picked on her for a long time. Uh, so, so, you know, it is, it, is, it is a matter of building that wall and keeping out the world. So I have to grow in this thing and, and allow God to know that, you know, these areas, again, of, of spiritual growth help to empower the believer to, to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ and escaping sin and most of its consequences. Sin, sin brings many, many maladies that will destroy a life. Eternal damnation, sickness, addictions, brokenness, financial losses, loss of relationships, loss of good reputation, and other calamities. Living for God, on the other hand, will save us, build up our lives positively, and make us productive people. Spiritual growth facilitates progress and increases wisdom and understanding. Paul wrote, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of this calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In Ephesians 1.18, he also wrote, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This spiritual progress ultimately leads a person to fruitfulness. So when you begin to add and do these things, Build your wall against the world. Then, then you will begin to get fruitful because you will begin to affect people that are around you. What you have just heard this morning is the ability to grow to such an extent that you will not be moved by the world, that you will be fruitful, that you will be witnesses, that people will be moved by who you are and what you are. Each individual is responsible for their or his or her own spiritual growth. Sadly, North America, many people visualize themselves, and this is what I said earlier, we visualize ourselves as victims. You know, of some sort. Lack of opportunity due to race, sexual orientation, gender, weight, height, handicap, education, language, and all other things that go along with that. But the growing Christian does not look for excuses not to achieve. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this, and if you get mad, I don't care. Most of the people need to hear it's not in here anyway. Um, I see a something happening, and I've been seeing it for some time, and I, I really don't understand it. Well, I, I do to some extent, but I see a lot of our young people getting at their, their, their graduate high school, and they, they I could, what do I do now? Uh, let, let me just tell you, and I, I'm certainly not a perfect example. Uh, I didn't want to go to college. I wasn't smart enough, I didn't think. And, but when I got out of high school, I had my life planned. Didn't turn out the way I wanted. <laughs> I had a plan, you know. It turned out better than what I wanted, actually. And and yeah, I wanted to be a professional trapper. You know, I was going to hunt mountain lions for a living. You know, I, that's what I was going to do. And uh, didn't work out. Um, but you know, I was going to get a home. I was well. Talking about high school, I was going to get married. I was going to have a home. 
I was going to have children. I was going to have, I was going to have a job. Whatever I had to do, I was going to have eventually the job. And I did get to work at somewhat what I wanted to do. And, and then eventually God called me something better. But I did get to do that. But I had a plan. And I always did. I don't understand. I, I see him come out. Well, I want to go to school here. I want to go, and they don't do nothing. You know, you know, nothing. If you don't have a plan, say this, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to buy me a home. Hold it. Don't clap. And if you're female, you don't have to get married to fulfill your life. Now, if you don't like that, that's okay. I have a real problem with females who say, I'm just going to get out of school and find me a husband and he's going to take care of me the rest of my life. That just doesn't always work out. Get a vocation. Get a life. Don't be dictated to by some guy who may and may not be worth a nickel. And if you're a male and you want to get married to have sex, you're in problems, real problems. Yeah, but it's legal that way. Yeah, it's legal that way, but it doesn't always work out very well, especially when you have a child on the way and you're not ready for it. I said, I don't know why I'm saying this now. Maybe there's one person needs this. I don't know. I just, you know, get a plan. Don't just sit there. Well, I'm going to go to Bible school. Well, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to go to that school. Number one, I think Bible school, forgive me, is a waste unless you've got a vocation to take care of that. You want to go play at Bible school? Go play at Bible school. But get something else ahead of that. Oh, I'm on the Bible school. Females. I'm going to Bible school. Find me a preacher. Oh, Lord. Worst duds on the face of the earth, preachers. Worst duds. That's the truth. And if you adults need to tell these kids, they are. Everybody, every male wants to be a preacher because he wants to be in charge. So he's going to go to Bible school and he's going to learn how to preach. And most of them couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper sack. I've heard them. Get a guy that's got a calling. It's a different thing, but they're few and far between. Boy, I'll tell you what. Send this to IBC when I'm done. <laughs> I'll hear it anyway. I don't care. I just, I, you know, and please understand, Bible school for the right reason is fine. But I just simply do not, if, if a person is going to go for the process of learning, or, uh, you know, it, it makes you study. I can see that. But most of the people, I say, go get a vote. Get something. Get a degree in nursing. Get a degree in and electronics, get a degree. you got to in this. But, you know, just going to school, Bible school just to fill time. Well, you're wasting money. Resources. Folks ever stop and think, if we could ever compile the resources of all the churches we have in this area, you could, you could absolutely turn all of our counties upside down. Instead of getting one that does something here and he gets mad because that doesn't work out and he starts the church. Boom, 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 boom. And well, you're just hearing Robertson 3 and 1. I don't believe in the church on every corner. I think it does cause us problems. But if you had pastors in one local church, you compile your resources, you have one electric bill. You have. You understand what I'm saying? I offered that one time here. Years ago, I offered to uh, another uh, person, I just won't say who, a uh, person that said, you can have church in ours on Sunday afternoon, but they wanted their own building. I would have 
we would have paid the electric bill. They wanted their own building. Explain that to me. All right. I better quit. Resources, how to be a better Christian. Sometimes it's rethinking a whole lot of things. Rethinking a whole lot of things. Let's stand. I'm, I'm going to take off all next year and go to Bible school. I, I, you know, I, I understand. You know, it's, we all are different, and you know, there, I have seen a lot of good people that have been in Bible school. Uh, you know, but I, I also know that you can discipline yourself, and you can study, and you get everything on your own that you get in Bible school. You can, and uh, you know, if if it's for the fellow, I, I just guess I wish people be honest. Brother Robertson, I want to go to Bible school so I can find me a man. Okay, go. Don't go tell me you're going up there and study to be something else. Uh, you know, I, you know that's, that's just to be honest. I love honesty, don't you? Yeah. Let's raise our hands to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all your goodness, your mercy. We praise you. We glorify you, Jesus. And we ask God now that you would touch us, strengthen us in every way. Be with each and every one until we come back tonight. I pray.